0: Welcome to Behind Business, the podcast where quarter mentor experts discuss the most pressing issues facing business today. I'm Sean Aylmer, an economist and journalist for 25 years and the host of the Fear and Greed Daily Business podcast. Today, we're talking about retailing. Well before the COVID-19 pandemic, retailers were facing multiple competitive threats. Online shopping, new offshore players, industrial relations challenges, lower foot traffic on high streets and in malls, and challenges to supply chains. Then coronavirus hit. Remarkably, some retailers have weathered the storm well with surging online sales and growing revenue. Others have not. In this episode of Behind Business, I talked to quarter Mentor Partners, Beric Wilson and Brian Webster about the retail sector in Australia, where it's come from and where it's going to. One of the recurring themes that we're discussing today is the impact of COVID-19. So it seems appropriate that we're recording this episode remotely with Beric and Brian joining me from their home offices. Beric, Brian, welcome to Behind Business. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Now, look, the topic today is retail trade, and in Australia, it's worth about $320 billion a year, maybe a little less this year in 2020, and it's estimated that around 10% of that is online. Let's start with you, Beric. Can you give us a feel for how retail has changed during the past 20 years? And this is up until February this year, pre-COVID-19, so from 2000 to the beginning of 2020.
1: Yes, that's a, a very interesting question, and, and it's, it's well worth looking backwards to then look forwards. And I think if you look at uh, how the digital era is impacting consumer behaviour, um, it's really fast-tracked globalisation of the retail industry. A couple of years ago, people were really looking at online versus bricks and mortar. And the way I look at it is it's it's neither. It's just shopping whenever, wherever, however consumers want without the pain points. And I think when you look at some of the legacy issues that are in the market, there are a number of legacy retailers that are very much wedded to bricks and mortar, but haven't evolved their e-commerce platforms or their distribution capability. On the flip side, you've got a range of pure play e-commerce retailers, Kogan, for example, who have an enormous amount of data and are growing uh, as a platform. When I look at retailing moving forward, I I think it's a blend of both. You you no longer need stores just for distribution. You need stores to create neurological connectivity with your client or your customer, and you need a very good e-commerce platform and a very efficient distribution channel. But I think a lot of retailers are starting to understand that now and are looking closely at their network of stores and understand what they do need and what they don't need. But there are a number of large space users in particular that have taken very long-term leases that are kind of bound by those existing legacy networks.
0: That's a good spot to leave the past. In a moment, let's look at where retail's at now in the wake of COVID-19. Now, before we get too far into the future, I'd just like to think a little bit about the past six months and how retailing has changed. And Barrett, you said it's sort of an acceleration of a trend as much as anything else. From your take, Brian, what do you think have been the major changes in retailing during the past six months on the back of the COVID-19 pandemic?
2: I think, as you say, the challenges for retailers have been there. With COVID-19, it's really thrown up a number of Unusual outcomes. We've got the combination of government stimulus packages, together with stay-at-home restrictions, and the growth of buy-now-pay-later lenders, this has meant that a number of the retailers are actually having a great year. I know we've seen results recently by JB Hi-Fi and Breville, Kogan. You've mentioned all really having uh, record results, and that's because people are buying discretionary items. I think initially there was a bit of a shock. They obviously fled. Consumers fled to supermarkets and bought the essentials and, and in some places stocked up on essentials such as toilet paper, a bit of panic buying. But uh, since then, I think things have calmed down and people now can't spend money on international or national travel or here in Melbourne, even local travel. And people want to buy things because they can't actually buy experiences through travel and going out, and and it's turning out to be a pretty forgettable year, but I think that's resulted in, as I say, some unusual outcomes. I think these unusual spending patterns and the government support is allowing some businesses who initially thought when COVID-19 first hit that, hey, I need to to really have a look at my business. I need to evolve and I need to potentially bring forward my plans to right-size or restructure the business. My cash is looking okay, but with the government support and the discussions with the landlords, they're saying, well, JobKeeper's is helping with my employees. Landlords are giving me rent waivers and deferrals for the time being and my suppliers, trade creditors, are, are okay with supplying me potentially a lower level of stock to my business big opportunity in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. And really, the retailers, it does provide with JobKeeper and the government support and and some of these unusual, unexpected consumer spending behaviours we're seeing. It's giving certain retailers the time now to be able to plan for what their business needs to look like when that support stops. What are the structural changes that need to be made so that their business is sustainable in the long term?
0: Now, it seems to me that two key factors, which you both mentioned already, are the sales funnel, so your online channels, and then distribution, how you actually fulfill those sales. So maybe we can take each of those. And in terms of the sales channel, Brian, we'll keep with you on that one, and I'll come to you about fulfillment, Beric. So starting with sales channels, have you seen companies actually turn around and improve their online selling ability, be it websites, be it social media, that type of thing?
2: Yeah, look, I think pre COVID nineteen, most retailers out there knew that they needed to develop that presence. But with the impact of COVID nineteen, they have brought forward that focus on the need to improve their online platforms as as a relevant sales channel. As Beric had said, I'm I'm not sure for some businesses it's going to work just to be online, but there will at least need to be a combination. I've I've heard of retailers who still have a store footprint, acknowledging that where they have that store footprint, the online sales in that particular suburb or area is actually greater than other suburbs because you've got a brand presence, a physical brand presence there almost like 24-7 advertising and, and an ability for consumers potentially giving them the option to go into store. But having that development of the online platform has become crucial for all retailers. I think that's well and truly recognized and the need to develop that and spend money on an appropriate fulfillment warehouse distribution is absolutely crucial to support that and make sure it works.
0: So, Beric, I'll ask you about that fulfilment, but Premier Investments are the guys who decided not to pay landlords money up front when COVID-19 hit. Premier Investments, of course, include Smiggles, Just Jeans, Portmans. But where they actually did do very well was in fulfilment. They seem to have big warehouses, which they were actually able to switch to when they went online fulfill orders very quickly. How important, Beric, is fulfillment?
1: Yes, very important. I mean, I think all of these things are important together. You can't be great at one and, you know, ordinary at two of the other components. So, you know, you need to be good at at each part of the process to re- remove the pain points for your customer. And so probably just looking at a couple of things that you've mentioned there, Sean, You know, I think Premier have been pretty vocal in terms of wanting uh, more flexible rental based on, on turnover as compared to fixed tenancies with increases over time. That's been a real challenge for a lot of landlords. And the point being that you really need to have a physical presence and a very good e-commerce platform and your fulfillment piece ready to go. And when we look at uh, some of the challenges that retailers are having is there's a lot of legacy in the system, a lot of legacy in the way that people have done things, the way that boards have operated, and perhaps even legacy in the technological systems that, that companies have because things have moved so quickly. But if you think through the sales process and the digitization of that sales process, we we first picked it up with online transactions with things like PayPal, I guess, taking away the anxiety of paying online. We then fixed the problem around marketing with social media and online marketing and sales actually being able to happen online. And the final barrier is really efficient fulfillment and particularly around last mile fulfillment. That's a a huge challenge for a lot of retailers at this point as to how do they get the goods to their customers efficiently and in a timely manner.
0: Yeah, just explain that last mile concept, because it's actually not that difficult to get the good out of the warehouse close to the person's home, but it's the last mile that's the challenge. Is that right?
1: It is. So quite often they go to you know major warehouses in industrial locations before they then come from that industrial location to somebody's house. And this is where I think, interestingly, The network of retail stores actually can play a very good, important part for retailers because quite often the products are very close to people's homes already. The challenge is systems to identify that the stock is in fact in stock, in store, and then how do you get it from the store to your customer? And we're currently going through you know, quite a test bed of this with COVID. And as you know, in Victoria, the second lockdown for a lot of retailers now is only e-commerce, so delivery to the customer, or click and collect. And so I think we're going to see uh, a huge advancement in this final barrier to meshing physical and digital retail transactions And you can see groups, for example, like Kathmandu, who are trialing the use of Uber, for example, to make deliveries from their stores to their customers to be able to get it there more quickly. Even Amazon is using drivers to be able to move those goods around quickly and fulfill efficiently from their Amazon platforms.
0: We've talked a lot about technology providing price and availability transparency, but doesn't that put pressure on margins for retailers? perhaps start with you, Brian.
2: Absolutely. It, it does put pressure on margins and increased competition. And I guess a more fickle consumer and a more informed consumer uh, is going to mean that business owners, businesses need to be more savvy in terms of understanding their financials, but also looking at ways that they can do what they do the most efficiently and make sure that there's no as you say, fat in the business that all, for example, head office costs are as slimmed down as they can be. And that really there's that focus on cash because of the pressures that are required in terms of the margins being squeezed with the online platform.
0: Barry?
1: Yeah, I look at this as probably one of the most important changes in our retail industry over the last decade. Um, online shopping, 4G enabled mobile phones uh, have enabled consumers to have instant price and availability transparency while out shopping. And this is really, I guess, driven the downward pressure on margins because retailers have been battling for sales volume, but at the expense of margins. And so when we look then at their ability to be able to pay the existing rents or even the rents that continue to rise with fixed increases, the occupancy cost as a percentage of gross margin or gross profit as compared to as a percentage of sales have been rising significantly over the last five years. And so we're now at that point where they're getting to an unsustainable level and retailers are saying, well, I no longer need a number of these stores and are starting to slim down their their network of stores to transition more towards online. And so as the demand for stores starts to decrease, you're starting to see more vacancy and more incentives before you'll then start to see a reduction in rents. But I think, you know, if rents adjust and they become uh, down to a more sustainable level then i think retailers will will hold you know, more stores not not as many as they've had in the past because they've got alternative sales channels but potentially more stores if retail landlords stay steadfast on existing rents and fixed structures then i think we'll start to see a significant amount of of growth in vacancy rates i, I spent a fair bit of time over in the us and uh, europe last year just having a look at at how some of The retail environments overseas have changed, and I think we can learn quite a few lessons from that to uh, provide a soft landing rather than a hard landing.
0: All right, time to look into the future. In a moment, let's figure out where retail is heading. I just want to move on to how rents will be paid in the future. So Premier Investments came out and said we should be paying rents for bricks and mortar on a percentage of turnover. Uh, vicinity Chief Executive, I think, then said, well, you can do that, but it needs to be a percentage of physical and online turnover, which, of course, the tenants didn't like. Beric, where do you think that debate will go?
1: Very interesting one. We need more flexibility. Uh, Retailers need more flexibility because the retailing environment is moving very, very quickly. And the old way of fixed long-term leases with fixed increases are becoming just too draconian for retailers and they'll vote with their feet you know you mentioned vicinity there similarly i think you know ian bailey the ceo of kmart uh, came out a couple of months ago and suggested that you know the days of long term leases with fixed rents and increases only rather than rents being able to go backwards uh, are gone and most retailers now want more flexibility in their terms. So they want uh, flexibility in both the, the lease term, but also in the way that they pay their rent. You know, it can go a couple of different ways. I, I don't think it's as simple as just uh, turnover rent or fixed rents. There's the opportunity to have more hybrid type environment where you know, there might be a, a lower, more sustainable fixed rent, and then a percentage rent based on turnover to provide some of the upside if the landlord is delivering from their perspective and their tenants are doing well. But equally, I think you know those that don't perform from a retail perspective will also be moved on because the retail landlord really wants the highest productivity from their physical footprint.
0: So moving forward, and Brian, I'll come to you on this, the next couple of months could well be tough for many retailers as some of the government's stimulus packages are wound back, not necessarily dropped off totally, but certainly some of the payments to workers and unemployed will reduce. And then over the longer term, the government will certainly cut back on some of its stimulus payments. How do you see the retail industry performing in the next six to 12 months, Brian?
2: There's really two main things at a high level for really everyone and all businesses, including retailers. And the first is uncertainty. No one knows the impact of COVID-19, the severity of it. We've seen the second wave in Melbourne. We've seen a flare-up in New Zealand. And absolutely, the new normal is uncertainty. What that means is that businesses are going to find forecasting is extremely challenging And understanding their cash flows, understanding what the future looks like. But perversely, it's actually even more critical than ever that they focus on what their forecasts are going to look like, what they're going to need, and they're going to need to review them at least monthly, if not weekly, or even daily where cash is extremely tight. And the second point is, we are in a recession, and it's our first recession in 29 years. So looking forward I think there's going to be two competing impacts on the length and severity of the recession that we're currently in. Firstly, as restrictions ease, hopefully over time, that spending should increase back to pre-COVID levels, particularly probably in areas such as food and hospitality and, I guess, initially uh, localised travel. That potentially may take away dollars that we're currently seeing being spent in the retail sector away from certain retailers and secondly as you say the government support inevitably will be wound back whether that's you know starting end of september then again december march that's going to impact Consumer spending, it's going to impact business confidence overall. So, for retailers, it's going to be really important that they understand their cash position, they understand what their reserves are, where they can get funding from, as I say, their forecasts, their optimal footprint to ensure their floor space is productive, as Beric mentioned. And right now, when we talk about the next six months, particularly for apparel retailers, what type of product and how much are they purchasing now for the upcoming Black Friday and Boxing Day sales? And it's going to be really important from a planning perspective, as I said before, that they use the time now to work out a plan for when the government support is wound back. What are they going to need from each of their stakeholders? How much money are they going to need and how are they going to actually pay it back? And if plan A doesn't work, what is their plan B? What does that look like?
0: And I suppose start now. Yep. You've talked about cash flow and reserves and forecasts, but they can't afford to hold off making those decisions. Yep.
2: Use the time now
0: wisely. Yep. Now, a couple of comments in the results season suggest that the Black Friday sales end of November and July, some of the retailers aren't quite as confident about that simply because they think people have spent their money now and you alluded to it just then. Do you think that could be a tough Christmas sale season in Black Friday?
2: Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. I think that's definitely going to be a risk government support's going to start to be wound back the expectation is over the coming months there's that massive uncertainty around the level of spending that will occur with black friday sales and and the boxing day sales if restrictions are eased perversely it will take away there's an expectation it may take away from a level of retail sales as people get back into the community and spend money on on experiences rather than things. So it is going to be a tough time ahead for a lot of retailers and uh, and a lot of uncertainty in terms of what's expected, which is why it's going to be so important for businesses to now understand their financial position, understand their cash and understand what their uh, future purchasing requirements are going to be.
0: Now, totally unfair question, but I'm going to ask you both. What's retail going to look like in 12 months' time? I'm going to start with you, Beric. What do you think the retail sphere will be like in the middle of next year?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a tough question. I, I think we're going to see a significant increase in digital and the adoption of digital moving forward. I think we'll probably have broken down some of the challenges that that have been there previously. And you only have to look at, at how much adoption has happened just in the last six months. I think Australia Post indicated that they thought that we'd get to around 20% of online sales by 2025. I think we're already at 15% by the end of this year. So there's going to be a, a huge shift towards the, the digital environment. It's currently a retailer problem, but I suspect that this is going to move to become a retail property problem and a financier problem within the next six to 12 months.
2: Okay. Brian? As Beric says, I mean, technology continues to evolve. Clearly with COVID-19, consumers embracing purchasing online has been accelerated. And I think when restrictions get eased, there will be a reversion at a level back to consumers going to physical stores, physical shopping centres, particularly those that are able to offer. And we saw this pre-COVID nineteen, where physical stores and shopping centres are able to offer consumers an experience, and and the purchasing of of product or, or services in that shopping centre is a byproduct of them being there. Uh, but definitely, there'll be a now sustained an ever-increasing level of purchasing online and having uh, having the product delivered to your door, uh, which is why the likes of Kogan, Amazon, Temple and Webster online stores will just continue to go from strength to strength. And it will be critically important to, for any retailer to be successful. In addition to understanding their financial position, they will need to have at least a combination of bricks and mortar and uh, a very, very strong online
0: presence. Barry, so so why do you think it's so important to make the call early, to ask the experts for help in turning your business around?
1: Uh, Really, it's the the circuit breaker. The turnaround is the circuit breaker to... I guess admit that things, if they keep going the way they're going, is going to end up in liquidation. And the opportunity for the turnaround is really to to identify that something's got to change. And unfortunately, I think you know it couldn't be achieved uh, consensually because there's probably too much for either party to lose along the way. So, I think by using the circuit breaker to then right size and reposition allows the stakeholders to move forward in a way that's much better than liquidation.
0: Beric, Brian, thanks for being on Behind Business. Thanks
2: for having us, Sean. Thanks for having me.
0: That's it for the retail edition of Behind Business. I'd like to thank Beric Wilson and Brian Webster for joining me, Sean Aylmer on the virtual couch. We've learnt that retail is a tough business at the moment, going through enormous change, not just COVID-19 related. And if you're a retailer, focus on cash flow. Think about your network portfolio, number of stores you have, e-commerce, and importantly, make the tough decisions early. In the next edition of Behind Business, we'll consider higher education. Now, that's a sector that's in significant distress due to unprecedented revenue decline from international students. QuarterMentha believes there is a way through the current financial hardship that will not only address the revenue shortfall, but strengthen universities and the sector more broadly for a more sustainable future. Thanks for listening to QuarterMentha's new podcast series, Behind Business. I'm Sean Aylmer.